Last time on Montreal Sauce. Do you feel that way too? That that sometimes like things are like dumbed down for users. Well, it's interesting that you put it like that. I, I think it's an interesting challenge between self-hosting versus using a cloud service, where you kind of have to ask the question like, how much control are you willing to uh, either hold on to or, or or let go of in exchange for uh, convenience? So, so you uh, on we distribute you like to uh, test things and write about them, and um, this is not my audition to write for you. Um, no, and <laughs> and uh, is there uh, some stuff that you have like stuck with for your personal use? I mean, I know you're you're yeah. you've recently switched to pl- Pleroma, right? Yeah. Um- so I think like PeerTube is like the big one that I've stuck with. I wish I used it more in the sense that like even when I was using YouTube, I've always been kind of a lazy creator. I would love to make more videos, but it's it's one of those things where getting involved in that space takes so much extra energy. Like posting is easy. You just like post whatever's on your mind. Making a video requires so much extra time to like film things and edit them and like put music in it and upload and like you might actually see less engagement than whether than when you had just you know posted a snippet of text, so it's definitely a challenge. But PeerTube is a really good one. I'm trying to get into Funk Whale, but there's like some stuff that's like a little funky about it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm working with the creator to work through some weird obscure problem that crept up. But you know, I'd like to eventually like upload all the media that I make, put it under a permissive license for anyone to use however they want. And just like put it in a, in parts of the web and applications that connect to other applications uh, that other people are running. So it's been an interesting experiment so far. There's a lot more that I want to test, um, but there's also only so many hours in the day. Like I was looking <laughs> at a I was looking at a list recently that uh, someone from the Fediverse shared with me. I think it was Liaison w- Wakest, uh, who I met recently in person, and uh, he like. They gave me this list, and it's like 40 different platforms. And I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to follow all this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I agree. Um, can, you, can you take our listeners a little bit through PeerTube? I know it's, like, distributed a little bit differently because it's sort of like torrents, yeah. but I'm, I'm not quite sure because – like I'm not quite sure how like if I have a PeerTube instance and you have one, can I choose to syndicate your videos or yeah? Or... So okay. this is like still like obscure in terms of knowledge. Like there's a lot of things that could be better about this experience to make it more clear to people. But uh, the idea is that like if you're an admin of your own PeerTube instance, you can choose like what other instances that yours follows from like an almost administrative standpoint. So like. Part of what I'm doing with VidCommons is it's like, it's like a media starter pack for new PeerTube instances. Uh, people that run their own instances can follow the entire instance of, of VidCommons. And so every single video produced by every channel on VidCommons will get filtered down into your instance as far as like search results and things like that. Uh, you're not actually getting the videos federated to you. You're actually getting metadata with a video torrent uh, and, a, and, a, and some JavaScript to play that. Uh, basically on your side. So you'll have all these results. You're not like, your server's not getting slammed with like a million videos being federated back and forth. 
uh, you're just getting like the metadata and just enough of a player to actually like play that as if it were natively hosted within your instance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I think like, yeah, there's like some terminology that I, when I was looking at VidCommons, like where it was like, this is hosted by like one server or something. And I was like, Oh, I thought the whole point was to host it on many, sir. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So another interesting caveat there is that servers can choose to what is called mirror the videos so like they they can set a an option i think it's in the configuration or something that when you follow a specific server uh you will mirror all of the videos so like you will actually serve up the video files from your end to reduce latency gotcha okay that's what that sort of thing was i, I wondered like that that seemed like <laughs> what was going on but it was confusing it's, yeah <laughs> yeah no it's a it's a little convoluted but it's a really good platform um i think the hardest thing right now is just finding stuff to watch and what i mean by that is like you can connect to like you know hundreds of different instances but you might have like an instance of like two videos that are like two second anime clips yeah and some right. of them are like mirrored music videos from youtube and some of them are like one guy in a room talking about anarchy for three hours for every video <laughs> so it's like it's kind of challenging to like figure out like what is the actual good stuff to watch. Uh, and Jackie, who is like sitting here in the chat, we we had actually talked about this a little bit, where it's like it'd be great if we could like have a sort of crappy human way to curate some of this stuff, either through like a census with people filling out surveys or or something, where we could like come up with a list of things to watch and sort of direct people to those places to kind of kick off an initial community. Okay, so no, like uh, I'm starting the the patreon campaign right now and i will just be the human curator i will watch thousands of hours of peer tube video oh no oh, full-time film frown <laughs> <laughs> there you go only so we I call can't... it peer frown peer frown <laughs> wow. frown tube frown tube <laughs> that sounds weird just videos of people frowning yep I just thought it was like uh, the the world where we can like now d have designer babies, and I, I would like a frown tube baby. I want a baby with a resting bitch face, please. <laughs> oh, those are very popular on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you? Um, are you from San Fran, or did you move there for work? Uh, so it's an interesting story. I'm from uh, the American Midwest. Uh, I grew up in I grew up in Illinois. And I've been there for most of my life. Um, something like five or six years ago, I got involved with Diaspora. And I basically just right then and there became a remote worker who worked from home over the Internet uh, for a San Francisco startup. And I've kind of moved on with that journey. But, like, it wasn't until, like, about three years ago that I actually moved out here. Oh, okay. All right. So is it, like, I watched some of your peer-to-peer videos. And... Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen many TV shows. Uh, and so California is a sunny and wonderful place. But my visit to San Francisco, I felt like I was in the fog of London. It doesn't seem yeah. like it is the sunny California that the rest of California advertises. <laughs> no, no, it's false advertising left and right. You, you get to San Francisco thinking you're going to be visiting San Jose or some beautiful part of Southern California. You get in and it's like everything's dreary and kind of run down looking and uh, – <laughs> I don't know, like, I definitely was a little taken aback when I initially got here. One of the biggest things that I noticed is that there's, like, a slight persistent chill 
no matter what yeah. time of year it is. And after a while, you kind of go crazy. You think you're in hell or something. It's like just enough to be torture. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I felt. Like my brain, I mean, I was coming from Canada, the Great White North. So it was like, you know, the dog sled dropped me off. And um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, we are on holiday. It is going to be beautiful here. And then right. every time like I looked outside and saw the sun and then I stepped outside, my brain was like, but why? Why am I still in Canada? Why? <laughs> no, it's like you got there and you realized you didn't need to take your coat off. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That awkward thing that uh, I've learned from traveling from Canada now where it's like, hey, we're going somewhere warm. We're going to get away. So. Like, what do I do with this big winter jacket that I had to wear to the airport? Do I not want to wear a winter jacket and just freeze from the parking lot to the airport and then back? Or, or do you want the opposite thing where, like, you sweat, like, with every step that you take and you feel really really gross really quickly? Yeah, yeah, that, that guaranteed feeling you're going to have in a plane no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to put you in a steel can with a bunch of other people. It'll be fine. <laughs> so so yeah you uh i know that uh paul originally was like super excited to talk to you because of your day job as well this uh oh. this fun thing but uh, i we haven't mentioned names or anything and plus i noticed like from your um linkedin that you've done this uh customer customer service manager thing at a few places now do you have any like good fun stories with the names changed <laughs> yeah yeah so oh. um at my last job uh, i worked for a company called backer kit uh, max salzberg actually uh started it up he was like one of the main guys that started diaspora and uh, he he very generously offered me a job and of course i took him up on it but it was interesting because like we were basically a bootstrap company with no investors, no seed capital. And we were just like, yep, that's how it's going to be. We're just going to start from the ground up. And uh, we ended up creating the service that's basically like an e-commerce platform for Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns when they're done raising money. So it was like a really interesting space. It's basically like a, a hybrid of e-commerce and data logistics and fulfillment. Um, and I basically like from the ground floor acted as like the first uh, customer success manager who basically talks to people and like helps them all the way with like getting set up, understanding like different data structures that need to go into place. And so like there were a lot of interesting experiences that came out of it. But one of the ones that really came out that has always really stuck with me is uh, we had this guy manufacturing a phone case and it was like wildly, wildly popular. Um, his campaign was doing really well, and he was using one of our competitors. So he decided to switch horses midstream, and it suddenly became my job to help stitch data together and import it into our platform. So this is actually really hard. You have like basically like 100,000 orders or something. Some of them have been shipped one item but not the other, and you've like, you're just basically working in Excel all day long. So what I ended up doing was like I spent like four weeks coming up with a way to filter through this data and stitch it together. And I like worked nights, I worked long days, and I like imported it into the system and found different ways to represent what items have been shipped or not for about 100,000 people. I mean, the guy was super, super demanding, but he was like really impressed with the fact that we managed to pull this off because for some reason 
you know, sometimes when you have a sales department that's like really eager to get a certain name on your website, they'll like make all kinds of promises. And as a success person, you can't really like say, actually, we can't do that. So you end up doing it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, stuff like that happened a lot where you sort of just had to think on your feet. Someone that wasn't necessarily good with technology was like depending on you to get this right so that their livelihood could move forward with like this huge exhausting campaign they just finished raising money for. So Backerkit was very much an interesting experience in trying to figure out how different people with different levels of technical knowledge, after raising money, like tried to figure out how the heck they were going to make products and ship them all over the world and keep track of the data. Um, so that was a really cool experience. It was very challenging. I ended up working with over 1,500 crowdfunded campaigns. Wow. It is, it is interesting, like, when you're thrown a challenge like that, like, sometimes, like, I mean, it all depends on, like, where you are in your headspace in the moment. But, I mean, <laughs> I was just, when you were talking about that, I was thinking of um, even where I used to work with Paul. Like, you would have that sort of other person interfacing between Paul and his job and me and my job there who would make promises. And we were like, oh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. Well, and like that scrappy startup mentality, like it, sometimes like your gut is saying like, screw that. I'm never going to do that. But then like you get serious about it and like, well, let's see how hard this actually is. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like I, I went from that experience in my head going, oh, gosh, we sure know what you're talking about to uh, <laughs> to then thinking about one of my first projects with the company, which Paul was actually helping me with, even though it wasn't really <laughs> part of his job where like we had somebody who wrote a book and wanted a, uh, <laughs> they wanted a video to promote the uh, book launch. And, oh, my um, God. and we made the video for them. And then they came back to us and said, Oh, by the way, we love the video. We love what you did. But the main character in the book on the cover now has a purple shirt on. So just change the color of the shirt. <laughs> and and we were like uh but we but 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 and then i just like you know sat down and did some rotoscoping and it turned out that like it was kind of fun and i was kind of proud of it and maybe if i looked at it right now i would probably laugh at myself but at the time like <laughs> it was fun it was probably wildly out of the client's budget but you know we made them happy and that were and that is kind of what counts when you're in that business when you're in the when you're in that service business. So, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Sean's playing around in the chat room and uh, Jackie asked us, like, what are what are some of the Fediverse apps that we are into? Do you are you into uh, are you into any Fediverse apps, Paul? Uh, I don't know that I am. I'm not running any instances of anything right now. I think the last thing I was really kind of actively playing around with was, uh, was Arc OS. Um, no, what about your, uh, microblog? I'd consider that probably Fediverse. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to count that, then, uh, because I sort of think of that as, I suppose it is, it is Fediverse. I don't know how much, um, uh, the developer of uh, of micro.blog is like working to make sure that he's I know he's very into the various standards that are out there. So I'm sure on some level he wants to start making sure that he can send that content off to other things. But he's sort of at the like RSS and uh, JSON feed 
kind of level of standard where it's like, I'm just going to make my platform publish these things and the other, I'm going to wait for like an established push model to really get itself worked out before it starts living in those places. But it's the same spirit, I think, of, you know, you want to own your content. Um, There is an aspect of community there, but really I think the spirit of micro.blog is more about having a space to publish that, publish those thoughts that are sort of like Twitter like sized, um, but an, an entry point into it. Yeah. And that's like very much into, that's very much in line with like kind of the expectations with, uh, indie web, the indie web group has this idea called posse. I don't really know what the acronym stands for because I'm an ignorant <laughs> fool, but basically posse is this idea that like you publish from one place and it ends up spreading to many other different places that are hooked yeah. into it. Yeah. So like, you know, you have like something like microblog and maybe you have it integrated with Twitter and Facebook and a bunch of other different things. And so you're publishing from one place, potentially into many different segments of the web. So like the principle is actually really interesting. Um, But I also think like as the web has sort of changed and grown into something that's much more guarded, uh, a lot of places like Facebook and Twitter are like a lot more restrictive about that kind of thing these days. Uh, I'm not really sure like necessarily that the model will quite be what it used to be if that makes any sense no it's it's a uh, it's something like actually jackie in our chat room is more involved than uh, probably i would say that i am but i've always been like sort of a closet or just i mean i'm an indie web fan and i really like what they do but that posse thing has really sort of faded in the background because the central silos are closing off like um and uh and it's interesting too because it, it's it's really sometimes it's interesting to go to like an indie web website and like read the conversation happening in the comments because they're happening at different websites and different places and so it seems rather disjointed sometimes yeah because of so that it's, it's kind of funny because that's like sort of my experience with we distribute so far is that like. It's a self-demonstrating concept where mm-hmm. every article that's published gets federated out to the Fediverse. And so anybody that comments on that thread, if they're able to catch it, like their comments get relayed back, back onto my website. And so it's very much like IndieWeb in the sense that like you have a bunch of people from many different places just kind of commenting from some dashboard or something that they've set up. And it's like all coming together in one place. So like the experience is still a little kludgy, but like, it's still a really cool idea and it's neat to see the different groups have come up with like very similar approaches to this kind of thing. Yeah, actually I brought up uh, micro.blog Paul because like <laughs> I think I was I was uh I was looking at yours and I found there were a couple other people I knew that were on there and I was like yeah, I remember when this came out and then I just posted my feelings like on Mastodon where I was like, you know, it still feels kind of like country clubbish like if i didn't sure. pay to be on micro.blog i'm not really hosting my own and the actual developer like schooled me saw what i wrote on mastodon and schooled me so i was like okay <laughs> like he definitely does sound like he have like he does like you said have some aspirations to uh make more connections he's just kind yeah. of waiting for something to jump ahead and kind of be the standard yeah, I think I think that's a piece of it and I also think that it's it's really important to uh to him to um to uh Manton Reese, I believe is the is the guy that develops that um 
And uh, I think it's really important to him that he's building something sustainable, um, which is why he's got the whole, well, if you're, if we're going to host the content, you know, your account is going to be with us and we're going to host it, then um, you're going to pay, you know, some amount of money for it. Um, And that certainly like when the barrier to entry is, or when the, when the cost of entry is no longer, it's free, then, um, there is going to be a level of like a lot of people just, okay, well, I'm, I'm out. I, I want to try something. And there's lots and lots of, uh, instances that you can get into in the Mastodon world where, you know, you can sign up and get a free account and, and start posting stuff and, and be off and running. And, uh, and he, uh, it's his full-time thing and he needs to make money from it and he's can't volunteer for that. So, uh, he's trying to not, not have a day job and, and sponsor something (laughs) at night. Um, and there's, you know, there's room for both of those models in, in my mind. So, yeah. So this kind of segues into like another question that, uh, Jackie had brought up is like, how do you think, like these different projects, like how do you think like these funding models should work? Yeah. Like yep. someone like uh, Eugene Rochko, or I think he prefers actually being pronounced Eugen, which makes me cringe. Uh, he basically relies on monthly contributions from many people that are interested in the platform. And he draws like a sizable, like not, not like a millionaire's salary or something like that, but like sure. a decent amount of money month over month to basically work on Mastodon full time. And it's like, it's a really interesting model, but I think like there are some challenges in the sense that like the community is still rather small and it's like, how do you make sure that everybody in that space gets like enough money for those people to respectively get by working on just that? Yeah. And I mean, it, it was really interesting when Patreon came into the scene, but like they're having their own funding problems, right? Like they've been like the jewel and the star and Silicon Valley for a long time, but they've, recently published things where they're not making money. Like, so, so it becomes like more difficult for them. And then that means more fees and less money going to the person that's using Patreon. And it's, yeah, I find like Jackie's question is definitely a really good one when it comes to this space, because I think that there it's, it's, what's interesting is, um, I'm kind of like, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what, but uh, um, I've been going to a couple talks locally and, you know, there's that fun thing that you run into, like when you live in a neighborhood or you live downtown and things where you sort of run into this sort of NIMBY attitude, not my backyard. We don't want to dump here. We don't want a strip club here. We don't want Mm -hmm. an adult store here. And it's interesting that people are so quick to like shut things down, try to pass bylaws, those kinds of things to get things to stop being, but very few people will bend over and pick up a piece of garbage in front of their house, you know? Oh yeah. Like, like we need to start like caring for our own communities. And, and that's how I feel. That's one of the things that I've been kind of feeling lately living here locally is just, You know, today when I was walking the dog, every telecom box that I walked by had probably 15 to 20 little pieces of wire, right? Like recently, like there's been an upgrade or a new business moved in and they had to, you know, redo it. And I was like, really, like the person from the telecom company couldn't just like clean up after himself. Like, like we, 
we just don't take responsibility for ourselves. And, and it's really interesting. Like, like Paul said, like, uh, I, I, I get frustrated with the whole idea of like, okay, this, this particular website, um, what was it? AppNet? Like people were like, Oh, it's a country club because you have to pay to get in. Like it not, no, not just anyone can join. There's like a privilege there. And it's like, I get that. I get what you're saying. But like Paul also said, you need to make some money. So like, (laughs) it's, it's kind of like the big model is Facebook and Twitter. It's free. It's free. And it's not free. We're paying with data. And I think that's one of the biggest things like, my wife is always like uh, teasing me because I'm Mr. Privacy Advocate and rolling my eyes. And we went to a nerd night recently and someone was talking about DNA testing. And I was like, oh, no, I am not giving no, someone like no. privacy stuff. And like, but I think one of the biggest core things of my privacy issues is that like, I just want people to like take responsibility for things. Like, let's start paying for things. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. There was my soapbox. That's <laughs> yeah, a good soapbox. It's obviously very expensive soap, and you clearly paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, I'm so dirty. He had okay. a whole box. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't. I have no idea how these projects should be funded, but uh, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we should just all use Red Star Linux and be happy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because that's a solution. Um, So, I mean, like, I think, like, one thing that'd be nice is if we could figure out how to recreate this model without necessarily depending on um, Patreon. And I think it's possible. I've seen things like LibrePay, which, like, effectively are kind of the same thing. But, like, I think they they charge smaller fees, potentially. You know, they're, like, very much into plugging into, like, the free software community. And I think, like, Mm -hmm. that itself has a network effect where... More people that are not, not necessarily part of the niche that we care about are also like on that platform finding things that they care about. Um, but in terms of like allocating resources so that everybody can get get by, like that is a bigger question than just like, you know, how do I make beer money or how do I like make enough money to just like make this cat photo social network thing? You know? <laughs> it's definitely a complicated problem. Um, I mean, I. I have more than a couple of uh, of websites that, uh, even though they don't have a paywall, I'm thinking more on the you know blog slash journalism side of things. Uh, I have a couple of sites that I follow, uh, like sixcolors.com because I'm a because I'm an Apple nerd, um, and uh, Relay.fm, which is a podcast network of that has a lot of podcasts that I like, and uh, and MaximumFun.org. I'll just put out all the names there but um yeah. they they've all of them have a subscription model of some kind and yet you can get all of the content that they publish as well without paying anything um and so there's yes it's like a level of volunteerism it's basically a pbs kind of model where it's like yeah uh it's pro- support for this program is viewers like you uh here's yeah. the place that you can go and sign up please sign up uh, also the Carnegie Foundation, um, but <laughs> and well, you know a, a letter and a number. Pres- but it's a very good impression of NPR. Thank you. Uh, I've been working on it, uh, just very talking very quietly, um, <laughs> <laughs> and handing and it, out tote bags. I as much as uh, I can understand, 
as we move to more a la carte models for things like uh, television and streaming services, how people don't want to have like 57 different things that they subscribe to for $5 a month. Um, but, uh, or $1 a month or whatever their level is, um, that feels like the, it feel, it just feels like the most direct model to me that there's not, there's not a middleman somewhere that I've, I mean, all of these sites are using some kind of like member full or something like that, where, um, you know, they do have a system that's similar to Patreon of some kind that you're kind of paying money through in order for it to get to them because they don't want to all be their own payment processors. And that's probably right. understandable. It's um, a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the the directness of that interaction and uh, and how that works, I do like. That's part of why I like micro.blog is that, you know, there's a very direct interaction there. Like, I feel like my five dollars a month is going to Manton so he can keep um you know producing more stuff for me and that's that's what I want to have happen and I'm sure that that's you know that's a model that's out there in different places I think one piece of it is uh we we've all felt at some point or another that we shouldn't just go ask for money <laughs> oh, yeah. and and if to be very honest, if the if the I want you to volunteer to give me, you know, I want you to donate to my project or just plain volunteer to give me uh, some money so that I can keep this thing going. We have to be um, we have to be able to say, hey, if this thing that I make you provides you value in some way, the way that we express that is by giving people money in this unfortunate uh, <laughs> capitalistic society that we have. Yeah. So if you could give me, you know a few bucks a month, uh, that would be great. Uh, Patreon.com slash uh, sauce. So. Side, <laughs> side note, side note. Uh, how do you feel whenever you're browsing Wikipedia and suddenly a giant banner with Jimmy Wales on it comes out of nowhere? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the one where that one actually does kind of piss me off. Um, <laughs> well, and, but why? Would, and it, that, it, it, it shouldn't. Because of everything that I just said, but I think it's right. because it is such a like, it's such an in-your-face banner, and it kind of feels like it doesn't matter how recently it was I donated; it's suddenly there again. Yeah, um, and, but and I, but I don't know what the deal is with that. And that is something that I feel like um, I was going to go so far as to trump trump oh that's an unfortunate word to use now but uh <laughs> trump you with your um, wikipedia and say npr for me when they're having like uh, a funding the run. pledge drive yeah right. uh, pledge drive or, it makes me yeah. crazy and yeah. and i think to myself just like wikipedia we have the technology like why can't i pay and I'm probably most likely these days listening on demand versus just on the radio, it can be like, oh, yeah, Chris already gave a donation. We're going to go ahead and skip the funding raising part, right? Like, <laughs> right. That's an interesting it, thought, yeah. I mean, we have all these, like, cookies and all these other really strange and bizarre, <laughs> nasty ways to track people. Like, maybe yeah. if those could work for consumers instead of screwing us, that would be amazeballs. Well, um. <laughs> what's paradoxical about what you said, what, what's interesting about that is that, yeah, all that stuff is out there, but a lot of the reasons that it's utilized is actually to sell you more garbage. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, um, 
maybe Jackie's question about, you know, how should funding be, um, maybe this is a question that we don't have to answer because it looks like, yeah, I haven't done the reading in a while, but um, the coming generations are really into micropayments with video games and online gaming where it's just like, oh, yeah, I got to pay $5 to, you know, get an extra 50,000 hit points or, you know, like a new outfit. And, like, yeah. maybe this... maybe those coming generations will be like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll pay, like, $5 a month for microblog. What the hell? You know, like. <laughs> this is, this is the... where we start to see the seam in a generational divide. Like, I think about <laughs> yeah. microtransactions, and I'm like, I'm not paying more to make the game easier. That's stupid. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I also really enjoyed what Paul was saying because it kind of brings us full circle back to community. Like, yeah. I feel the same way. Um, I'm not hosting my own Mastodon, but I decided um, in my way to support Mastodon, I was going to get off of um, Eugen or however he prefers me to say his name, um, Gargan's mastodon.social and start my own instance to help grow the network and when i did that i was like well i can't do this myself so i started using um masto.host from hugo and i met i met hugo on mastodon and i was like oh i might review your service someday and we made we became friends and uh we started talking and uh i like him and then it's not just because like he knows who I am when I signed up for his service to host my new instance. It's because he is probably the only guy running it. So I also feel like I am supporting him and I get that instant feedback where he's just like, I get an automated email that says, okay, we received your payment. Your instance will be up in the next four hours. And it's like, I made this decision at like one in the morning when I couldn't sleep <laughs> and I have no idea where, what time it is where he's living. And then he sends me an email like 20 minutes later saying, oh, I'll get to it right now. Like, it's like a level of community, right? Like, and, yeah. and so I, I like the idea of smaller communities and then we can support each other. Like, it's great yeah. that like we're supporting Mastodon through Patreon, but like we can also support each instance, which is really kind of interesting. Yep. This in is itself. definitely something that I felt is kind of lacking is, uh, you know, when I was part of uh, social.masperon.org, like, I had asked the the admin, like, hey, is there a way for me to, like, make recurring payments every month? Unfortunately, like, there's not a lot of good infrastructure in place to do that. Like, you have to, like, make a manual, like, PayPal payment, like, every time you want to donate. It's, like, it would be so great if instances had this kind of tool where you could very easily hook in and, and fund that instance on a monthly recurring basis for a small amount without having to think about it. Yeah, that's not a bad idea to be sort of built into the software. I don't need polls. I need a way for people to fund this to keep it going. That mm -hmm. might be a way to keep, grow the thing, right? Like, Right, because then at the very least, like, the cost of hosting it is largely covered. Like, And if that's a community <laughs> that people are, like, passionate about, like, they can all continue to be a part of it and, like, continue to support and grow it out. And this is 
this is where like the first developer who's using activity pub like uh <laughs> pivots because it's like oh we were mastodon about social networking but now we are a payment system like patreon that you can hook into your open source yeah thing. <laughs> now if only we had a way to chain all these payments together for accountability purposes <laughs> ah crap it's bitcoin yeah <laughs> we just hit what, the buzzword what? implosion oh no all we have to do is talk about Hitler now. Boom. We're done. We've covered no. all the internet hot topics. <laughs> um, what were you going to say, Paul? Uh, I was I was going to hook back into uh, community, and, and I think the thing that, uh, that I love about Mastodon is that the different instances all take on their own, their own flavor in some, in some respect. And I think that one of the ways that we get, kind of back to the roots that uh, that we were talking about with the various communities that we like is having tools to make it easy to create those communities um, that are, you know, this is a topic-focused community and your identity on Mastodon, whatever instance you, you know, whatever instance is your home base instance, being able to kind of plug into some other instance of Mastodon that's about... TI graphing calculators and how to hack them and another one that's about you know indies making their own games and recreating commercial games and doing that kind of stuff um right. is a really powerful idea um and then beyond that you know the ability to hook those together and still right. use your same identity in different places and then ideally down the road the ability to sponsor or you know uh, support yeah. monetarily those different instances in some way as well um, lets you get back to that original idea. And then the challenge is more about helping people find those communities of interest um, and less about, uh, well, where do I, you know, what do I sign up with? <laughs> right. How do I sign up and how, who do I have to pay or do I have to pay or, or what? Yeah, it's a real challenge at the moment. Uh, Discovery is kind of like a thing I'm currently obsessed with as I'm trying to you know, build out all these random things. I'm like, well, how do you, how do you connect an audience with somebody that's making something? And I think right. that's that's still like kind of an unsolved problem for the most part. Um, to your point, also, it's really interesting that like, uh, I don't know if either of you had read, but uh, Eugen had just reopened uh, Mastodon.social for registrations. And that caused a little bit of a stir in the community because some people don't want to see giant uh, flagship instances represent the entirety of the network. So, like, you know, he had kept it closed for some time, and a lot of people, like, were fine with that. But he decided to open it back up for whatever reason. You know, it's his server or whatever. But a lot of people kind of got upset about this, and he immediately writes this, like, long, lengthy post trying to, like, justify his actions saying that, like, you know, I would rather have this be the thing because it's easier for people to find and easier for them to join and become a part of the network. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to see those two points of view at odds with each other and also acknowledge it, like, yeah, actually discovering a new instance to join as a new person, still really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to the the example of email, you know, email is effectively a federated service that works really well for all of us. It didn't when the Internet first existed. I had to know <laughs> your like nine digit number on CompuServe if I wanted to send you a message. Um, 
but uh but now it it works pretty seamlessly across everything of course there's issues like spam and and things like that but within the domain of email there are huge providers i mean hotmail is still a gigantic provider of email to a lot of people gmail is a huge provider um and for a lot of people that's how they got into email and then someday you know they go work for somebody and they get an email address that their work runs and um and i think almost everybody these days if they live any kind of technological life uh they probably have four or five email addresses at this point um and yeah. which one do you use when you're you know home paul versus work paul um but that's the same kind of thing that probably should happen uh, if that kind of thing is the problem that, oh, there's, well, there's like three or four gigantic flagship instances, I can understand the backlash to that on some level because it gives those flagship instances a lot of power in some respects. But if it's an open protocol and everybody is participating in good faith, um, then there's probably going to be really big ones and there's going to be tons and tons of little small focused ones too. And that's... Well, it- Good. I think that's a very that's a very natural progression, you know. As I said earlier, like a lot of people will join a big service, and because you know they can all talk to each other fairly, fairly seamlessly, people can basically host a tiny thing and basically like hitch on to the big thing and still talk to everybody that they still know. So like, it's not like a completely bad situation, and in a lot of ways, that encourages people to gradually move over time and reestablish connections somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's definitely an interesting issue. I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, where um, you know, my small, small, small community of this podcast is me and Paul, and I trust him not to give away like my recordings to just anybody, even though he publishes them publicly. Uh, <laughs> and and you know he. He, I, he trusts me to get the guest, that, that kind of thing. Like, I think there's like a level of trust here too, where you're just like, um, small versus big kind of a thing. Like you're always probably gonna, you know, even if we tell, you know, social to always shut down because we don't want them to grow any bigger. We don't want any massive things. Like there's still going to be instances that are the big ones, period. Yeah. Done. You know, like, no one's going to well, join my little garden gnome uh, version because <laughs> well, there's six of us. that's not necessarily true. I mean, people join message boards, or at least historically, have joined message boards all the time when it serves a particular niche or community. So that'll still happen. I think it's just a matter of, like, how are people discovering your thing and coming to it, which is, like, much more vague and, like, much more abstract. Um, I think... I was just going to say, I think one of the interesting uh, things to bring like sort of a real world example is uh, we're talking about like communities. We're talking about uh, niche kind of communities and then them being interconnected. And what I think is interesting about the real world example of uh, Pixel Fed is kind of like Dance Up's like activity pub, like Instagram killer. And instagram's sort of niche is like photos it isn't like like professional quality photos it isn't kind of like memes it's like everything and so 
when you go to like sign up for like a different pixel fed instance, it's really hard to find them because there's not a lot right now. And sometimes yeah. I wonder if there's not a lot, I mean, a, it's still very like early in the software. Um, so you're, you're still, you know, you don't want to run like an instance that's like in production right now, probably, but B like, there isn't like that sort of community, like, hi, this is my pixel fed and like, uh, people who sign up here are only going to post pictures of like landscapes, you know, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting problem. Um, I think like one thing that he is doing right with his product though, is like he is figuring out like how to sort of break things off into uh, its own little discovery portal. So like, you know, all the, all the posts that are flowing through, regardless of who you're connected to, like you can see things that are tagged and be like, oh, well, show me all the pictures of dogs or, you know, show me all the people that are at an EDM rave or something like that. So like, I think like being able to break things down like does help discovery in the sense that you have a lot of data passing through your system. If you can just catch some of it and like categorize and sort it in a way that's relevant to you, like that does kind of give you a, a sort of starting point for discovering like things in the wider network around you. Yeah. And I was going to say like uh, Jackie's in the chat room asking like, what are some of our ideas about discovery? And I, I think too, it's, it's kind of interesting because we we know right now, like I was having a conversation the other morning with some people and we know right now that we we have like such a disconnected society. Like, um, you know, you can go to like a restaurant and look at the tables around you and the people aren't talking to each other. They're both on their phones. And again, <laughs> yeah. I sound like grumpy old man, but uh -huh. we're. We're, we're so disconnected and I think like discovery is a huge issue in the Fediverse. But to me, um, it also seems like, I guess like, you know what, the best people that I've made friends with on Mastodon um, come from my other friends, right? Which is kind yeah. of like how community works. And like, well, I know... I'd like... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I know you because of the tent days, which was a precursor to kind of Mastodon. And right. uh, and because I know you, I know Walt, I know Brandon, I know, you mm -hmm. know, Jonathan, I know Jacob. And then through those guys and you, I've met people like Jackie in the chat room. And it's like that's kind of how discovery works. It's like a little bit slow. And and I yeah. think sometimes when I open up PixelFed, I'll be like, oh, there's not a new, not a lot of new images here. I need to follow more people. Who do I follow? But it's kind of like, I'll discover those people when it gets there. Like it's just not there yet. Like, you know, like I'm not yeah. saying the service needs to grow. I'm just saying like, I'm expecting, I want more images right now on my feed. Damn it. Like, <laughs> right. No. Uh, so I think like this segs into my, my own perspective pretty well is that I actually do think to some extent uh, discovery is something that actually happens organically with groups of people that are already there. Mm -hmm. And nice. so like my biggest example is that when I joined Mastodon, God, like two years ago, has it been that long? Um, like this is like an old trick that I used back in the diaspora days was I would like follow as many people pub publicly as humanly possible. Uh, so I would like, I'd follow like 10 people and then I'd follow people that were following them, and then I would follow the people that were following those people, and so on and so forth. And I would also use, like, hashtag discovery to find, like, who are the people talking about Linux? Who are the people talking about adventure games? 
And like I'd start to like use this process and like iterate on it over and over again until I was following like a couple hundred people. And that sounds insane, like from the perspective of like you, know, you shouldn't do that on Twitter or something, but like to populate my feed and like also get things flowing between different instances so that Federation would work a little bit better. Uh, I did that. And so like I would then, you know, start to cut out the context that, that were posting things that I didn't want to follow. And eventually I just like had a stream of like people that I really happy to interact with every day. And so like, I kind of want to like turn that into an article or something at some point. Like I think like one of the biggest things about getting into the space at the moment is you have to be a bit of a self starter and be willing to discover like, all sorts of different people across potentially many spaces. You know, not to pitch in the middle of the show, but uh, <laughs> it might it might be interesting to do like uh, you know it, it means more work for you unless there was some other person uh. doing this pitch right now um, <laughs> to do some like Fediverse like interviews and be like, hey, these are like the four or five people we talked to this week, and and maybe like you know this yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean. Sean Tilly guy isn't your cup of tea. You're you're not into poetry and uh, and, and you know like um, parades like he is. But uh, but at least like you're getting a conversation started where it you know kind of like you're saying organically. Like follow Fridays always seem to work well when they're organic. When it's not just sort of like oh damn it Paul included me in a follow Friday. I got to include him in one. Like you know. <laughs> Yeah, without a doubt. I think uh I think there will there will be more um more tools and services that'll emerge too as the as things start to gain traction and I and I I know I'm the here comes old man from the internet again, but uh <laughs> but I but I think back to the early day the very early days of the internet where it was like the quantity of content wasn't the problem, but how you actually got to literally anything on the web was like, oh, well, it's just hyperlinks. You just have to keep clicking links that get you closer to the thing that you're looking for. And then eventually there were sort of like directories like Yahoo. And then eventually there was like insane people that worked, uh, that eventually became, you know, Google and tried to literally yeah. index everything and turned it into a search engine. And I think down the road... It's probably not something that even necessarily needs to be part of the core Mastodon product, but I think down the road there's probably a service out there that says, well, I'm going to start crawling these federated instances and kind of creating an index of either either an index or a directory of like different different uh community focuses that are out there and different interest models and you know, here's just every photo that I can find. And those things are probably going to crop up kind of independently of Mastodon, but be entirely connected to the whole thing. Um, and, and help in that discovery aspect of it. But I think, yeah. um, you know, Jackie so mentions like lobsters and Reddit and indie web. And those are all like, those are all in the, in a sense, different types of directory services where people right. can say, Hey, I discovered this cool thing. Go check it out. Well, and also, like, people have been experimenting with this in different ways for the Fediverse, like, for some time now. Uh, one of the more popular, like, community-driven things that have been done is uh, something called Trunk, where it's like a public directory of people that said, you know, 
associate my profile with these like five different keywords or something like that. It's okay to have me in the directory and anyone that's perusing it is welcome to follow like Sure. You can follow me. And like the way it works is you can say like I want to follow literally everybody that has the art tag on their profile that is in this directory and it'll automatically do the follow for you. So yep. you might like, you know, follow four thousand people all of a sudden. Which is sort of sort of ridiculous. But right. the right. idea is that like people are already thinking about this problem in a variety of ways. Uh, also, I would definitely recommend uh, if you're interested sometime to sit down and watch uh, Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, really fantastic, <laughs> really fantastic show. Uh, the fourth season in particular focuses on the the birth of the internet and talks about a a fledgling search engine company yep. that is trying to capitalize on ways to solve the discovery problem from uh, the early '90s perspective of how do we discover things on this great new great new medium for communication. It's it's really fascinating to me your example, Paul, because like. Um, how many of us have that story where we like sat down and we were like, I, I don't, I don't know what Chris was talking about Flerkins cause I haven't seen that <laughs> new Marvel movie. Let me Google what that is. And then two hours later, you know, the entire history of like right. some comic book that's not even Marvel <laughs> because you fell down the rabbit hole. Right. And, right. and yet, like, I just want you to hand me, like, 20 awesome people to follow, please. Like, Well, know. technically in Secret Wars number 32, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you become after just three hours. Oh, yes. man. It's even, it's even worse now because, like, Wikipedia does this to people, and I think TVTropes.org does it on an even more advanced level. Yeah. Where, like, suddenly yeah. you, like, see every instance of, like, an evil twin showing up in movies and books – uh, and like suddenly, like you become an expert on like twenty other things that are related to it. <laughs> yes, I, I love it. I love it. I love that. Like no trivia night is safe with the internet. That's right. It's an obsession. Yeah. So are are you uh, to uh, take us out of here uh, on a on a different, uh, less uh, less um, I don't know thinking. <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh are you like a reader or a TV viewer or both? Like what's your deal? Yeah, so for me like TV's like always I don't know. I'm like trying to work out the kinks in my love-hate relationship with television. Uh right now I'm just watching Mad Men on loop endlessly. Um I think it's like one of the best shows ever written personally speaking. Um, it's a great show. Yeah. It's just really good drama, and it's an interesting period piece, and it makes some really interesting statements about uh, people's wants and desires and how that man that manifests in advertising. So it's like a very interesting perspective on a subject that I normally hate. Um, but you know, as far as reading is concerned, uh, right now I'm actually reading a pretty great book. It's called The Living Dead: Switched Off, Zoned Out: The Shocking Truth About Office Life, and it's about um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's about the idea that actually like eight hours a day, 40 to 60 hours a week, like actually like most people, a good portion of people are actually wasting a ton of time within the office space. And it's not necessarily those individual people's faults. It's just like a weird side effect of the expectations we have about how the office should function and like how much time people should actually be allocating to towards spending time at work, especially like work environments where there's not necessarily some, you know, huge ladder to climb where people are working in giant corporations where they're not necessarily re uh, recognized for the individual contributions. Uh, it's a really funny book actually, but it like tackles like 
something that is very soul crushing for a lot of people as far as as far as their careers are concerned. If you, uh, if anybody listening is like a uh, fiction fan, um, Charles Strauss has like the Laundry Files series, um, uh, or the Laundry is it just called? But uh, it's it's a similar note um, to what you were just mentioning. So I had to giggle because uh, um, the basic premise is like magic is real. It's math. And eventually people like yourself and Paul, like as they're programming and doing things like eventually stumble onto it. And so they're either put down because we can't have the world know about magic or they're (laughs) just, they're just added into the system and they work for the government now. And, And the hero of the book, um, basically saves the world like all the time, but he also has to keep up his, his spy kind of persona as well. And for real. So he's also the IT guy at work. (laughs) So, so he hates his life. He hates the bureaucracy of the government because, you know, he's almost going to die out there because, you know, they gave him like the worst rental car ever. Right. Like, it's just a really hot take on like office work and stuff because like in the middle of all this drama of saving the world, he has to fill out all these reports, right? Like, <laughs> Oh my God. It's, it's a really interesting series. There's probably like nine of them now or something like that. And uh, I really enjoy them. Um, and, and he's a British author. So sometimes like a little of it goes over my head. Like, I don't know the, the slang and whatnot, but it, it's still pretty good reading. Um, Anyway, yeah, it's it's really cool. Like you that you mentioned that because like uh, it seems like TV is like so hot these days, and uh, it's kind of uh, refreshing to meet someone who's like, yeah, I'm not sure why, but I'm just not into TV. <laughs> I mean, I know there's like a million great things to watch on. It's just like it feels like so much of an investment of my time. Uh, I feel the same way towards video games sometimes. It's just like. Yeah, I'd love to spend more time investing in those things, but like, actually, like there are other things I would rather be doing at the moment, which is frustrating. You know, you it's like reading a really long book that you you want to get into, but you're like, crap, this is going to take forever to get through. Uh, I'm playing Red Dead Redemption at the moment, <laughs> great game, but like takes forever to get through the story. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, and I. I love when like the second one came out like I like you I feel the same way like when I sit down in front of a video game I'm like oh this could be cool but then like there's a lot of shame and guilt and it's a whole mental health issue we can have a whole nother podcast about but where I like I should be doing something else with my time but when Red Dead Redemption 2 came out and like my friends were in like a Facebook chat and talking about it and I was like teasing them because the one is like Oh, I, I was like, oh, I read like an article where like it's, you know, they simulated the horses to show like their erections and stuff. Yeah, and... That, that's why I bought the game. I'm like, I've got to see this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my friend was like, oh, man, he's like, it's so much it's so much work to take care of your horse. And I was like, you have to take care of your horse. He's like, yeah, you got to brush it and you got to do all this stuff. Yeah. And then and then like a my other system. Yeah, my other friend like jumps in and he's like, "Oh yeah," and like they can hurt you too. He's like, one time, like I, uh, he's like, I, I was, I, I shot a bad guy and I killed him and I was trying to search his bag and the horse like kicked me, so I got up and I shot the horse and he's like, now other <laughs> horses hate me in the game, and I was just like, 
wow, like this should have been called like horse simulator. Forget the whole Red Dead Redemption. Like these <laughs> games are so involved. Like I just want to go shoot things. And now I got to like pet the horse and feed it and water it. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Games are too real. Like when I was a kid, we had a joystick and one button. What's all these buttons? I'm an old person. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so I'm with you there. We'll, we'll talk more mental health uh, some other time. I think uh, we should probably uh, wrap up. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was really awesome to have you on and uh, chat with us about uh, decentralization. And obviously, we solved it all. So Yeah, um, no, it's super fun. I, I really appreciate taking the time. <laughs> I'm glad we fixed everything. What was broken? Ne- next week, we'll... Next week we'll we'll have you on and we'll just fix politics too. No problem. Oh, cool, cool, awesome. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Hey, um, thanks to uh, Jackie for uh, joining us in the chat room, and uh, I'm looking in my brain. Uh, Agent, it was in there asking questions and commenting as well. I really appreciate yeah. that. Um, and thanks to you for listening. And uh, we will post this uh, when we post it. That's how this roll works. That's how we roll. <laughs> That's basically That's- how it works. Yep. Yeah, it's how it works. That's how it works. Um, that's my song. Uh, <laughs> this is the part where I look down on my notes and read uh, the ending, which isn't here. So uh, <laughs> thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, I'm really happy to be back doing this live. And I think we're back in two weeks. Just me and Paul, we're going to do what we call a sauce packet, just a quick short show uh, live. And we're going to be talking Star Trek Discovery because we both are Star Trek nerds um indeed and then and then after that i think we're going to be talking to gina who is on mastodon and he's been on uh various other things and he's a big part of the indie web so we'll be talking indie web and all kinds of things and it'll is it's like the super bowl of time conversion because he's in sweden so it'll be (laughs) fun (laughs) yep um so yeah thanks again sean i really appreciate it and uh thank you all for listening is there some other thing oh yes and it's called montreal sauce so uh i guess my closing line is uh when life gives you potatoes make poutine mm, mm. very good makes sense somehow yeah right that's right sure if only we were in montreal doing the show <laughs> <laughs> good night All everybody right. thank you hey, good night I will... or good morning whenever you're or listening good, or to good us. morning yep <laughs> Gina. Time zone appropriate greeting. That's right. <laughs> good so afternoon, good evening, and good night. Delete is appropriate.